I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Phil Dobby and welcome once again. It's another Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. Today, we're looking at regional diversity. Uh, When it comes to income, how can we ensure that one part of the country is not significantly better off than another? In England, 17 million people live in London and the southeast. 16% of all the people who live in England live in that uh, bottom right-hand corner. And London is the fastest growing region in Britain, growing 14% over 10 years, compared to, for example, 3% growth in the northeast. More staggering, perhaps, a third of the UK's gross disposable income comes from London and the Southeast, a third. So should governments worry about this regional diversity or does economics sort it out? For example, we know London is hellishly expensive, but a lot of UK people are moving out. For Brits, the outflow from London exceeds the inflow more than by any other region. So Steve, uh, given that, should, I mean, should we be right about uh, regional diversity when it comes to income and wealth or Will economics sort it out eventually? <laughs> That's a good one. You're, <laughs> you're full of jokes, mate. Uh, uh, the, the economics has ignored the dimension of, sp- uh, dimension of space. Mm. It's also pretty much ignored the dimension of time by talking in equilibrium terms, but it's also ignored space. And that, I must admit, is a more complicated issue to cover properly. If you actually wanted to uh, do the sort of modelling that I do of the economy and you wanted to take into account regional disparities as well, then you'd need what are called partial differential equations rather than what they're called ordinary differential equations. And there's an immense increase in complexity and dramatic limitations of what you can actually cover. But the basic idea is the economy exists in both time and space. And when you include space inside there, even from a conventional point of view, a conventional economic point of view, as soon as you do, all the hands-off stuff about letting competition sort out everything um, are very severely challenged. And yet, you know, at a very simple level, you might say, well, if I'm going to put money into any part of the UK, I put it into London because the highest gross value added by any region in 2015, the latest figures available, was London, £43,000 per person um, compared to uh, 18000 for Wales. So you want to add value to any region, you put it in London. I guess that's because yeah. the of that proximity effect, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and like the whole lot of other effects behind it, including energy, which I want to talk about uh, as, as well. But if you think about the, 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 the classic ex- mental exercise to say what happens when you include geography as well as um, time in your economics, it was a paper by a guy called Hotelling. Beautiful little idea saying, imagine you've got a beach. Now, of course, that's difficult for people in London. Give it a try. Uh, <laughs> There's a beach uh, serving ice cream, even stranger. But no, no, let's, let's imagine you're in Sydney. <laughs> it makes plenty of sense. So you've got Bondi Beach or Manly Beach. Uh, where do you put the first ice cream stall? Well, the obvious place is in the middle of the beach. If you imagine that the customers are spread equally along the sand, and that's not too extreme an assumption in Manly or Bondi, uh, then you whack the, the ice cream parlour smack dab in the middle. Yeah. What if you get a competitor? You put one, one, at, one at each end. 
No, not if your competition does it. The the competitor will have themselves right next to you, mm. because the, if if you've taken at the middle position and then a second competitor comes in and they take any other position, no, I the logical. You. Yeah. Okay, they're going to get more of the market if they can take half your market by getting next to you. But if they if they space themselves, you know, if you're on the fifty percent mark and they go to one of the twenty five percent marks, then they're going to get less than half the business because in terms of people walking from one from wherever they are on the beach to the ice cream parlor, uh, it's there are uh, there are you know one half of the beach are totally it's closer to to you and then the twenty five percent between the two of you, uh, it's fifty fifty which way you're going to go. Right. So the, the person who sits in the middle is going to get 62.5% of the business. The one who sits 25% will get 37.5%. That's bad, bad, bad profit-making decision. So the best spot for the second person to go is right next to the first one. Right. And yet if they both set up now, at the same that's time... that's what sort of effect. It gives you concentration. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if they both set up at the first time, and maybe this is part of the problem with economics, if they both established at the first time, then they would say, well, let's chalk up our territories. You take one end and I'll take the other. Well, that involves- the, the only reason it works that way is because some was there already well, no they, they, even if they if if they simply did it at the same time they'd be fighting to get as close to the middle yeah uh, so if you if you just have competition if you don't have some form of cooperation you get a socially a detrimental outcome the socially best position is the first one start once as soon as there's two one's at the 33 percent the others at the 67 percent mark that minimizes the walking distance for all the people on the beach so you get a difference between what suits the uh, producers in terms of the most profitable position for them and what suits the customers in terms of the shortest distance to go and buy the product. Right. So there's there's a reason to say we should need a bit of cooperation here. Once we have the idea of geographic dispersal, we have, have to uh, take into account that the economy will concentrate rather than spread. And if you and you want to spread to suit people, uh, otherwise you know, we'd be having. With it, otherwise, there'd be what seventy million people living in London, and the rest of the country would be a, be a game park. Not a bad idea in some ways, uh, but uh, but you, you actually you you people want to live where they live. So if you don't actually allow for this concentration effect, that money concentrates. Uh, then you're going to get the type of regional uh, disparities that are beyond sustainable and beyond desirable. But isn't it more efficient to have uh, this concentration of business? Because as I said, you know, with the uh, you know the money you spend in London seems to have a, a more productive impact, perhaps because there's because there are more people, there's more skilled people, but also because there's uh, you know other comparable industries that can work together. Uh, it becomes more inefficient to do that. Uh, apart from that, you know, and I think. You made the point that you know people are perhaps moving to London and the southeast because that's where the market is. So they want to be there because they're close to the market. Because why mm. why would you be in the northeast if there's not as many people living there? But um, but you know there's also that. So perhaps that you know doesn't it make sense then to say well if it's more efficient, businesses should just move there and we just accept it. Well, it's, it's one of these things you've got to look at the it's and a, people move it's, there. It's a network effect, as it's called in in physics. Uh, the network. If effectively, if you almost imagine the the country like a uh, a, uh, a rubber um, a rubber mattress, then the tendency is the bigger the particular build up gets in one area, the more it will suck air from people from elsewhere. 
and and that's positive in some ways because it gives you these creative concentrations and this is vitally important this is a reason a city like london can be so successful because so much industry is occurring here i mean not industries unfortunately mainly the financial sector but if you go back to seeing how these things actually first occur it's often because of either a, a, a political you know, seat of government type effect uh, or it might be because some invention occurs. I mean, to go back to the days when the Midlands was where uh, industrialisation first occurred. People needed to come there to to work the uh, the new innovation, uh, whether that's spinning jennies or uh, or or new ways of making iron and so on. And and they form the concentrations around them. And this this is something which you know. It, it, it's something which can concentrate excessively. And what you get with London, of course, is the impact on this is that people can't afford to live here. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the rents are too high, the transport's too expensive, et cetera, et cetera. So you, want to f- you, you have to have some awareness that's going to happen. And therefore, do you have other mechanisms that can help sustain the network that used to exist uh, in the rest, of the, the rest of the country? And this, I'm seeing this not so much actually in, in the UK's case, but it's it's absolutely devastating in Europe right now because there are whole towns in Croatia and Greece and uh, and Poland and so on which are becoming depopulated. A whole region is disappearing because the people are going to where the jobs are, which are the cities and the other parts of the European Union, and whole towns are becoming just empty. And that is not a healthy landscape. We, we, do, we do want some distribution just for the sheer um, psychological uh, elements of, of of living in, in a complex society. Well, yeah, we are seeing, and yeah, it continues to exist, though, doesn't it? I mean, it was Norman Tebby, wasn't it, who back in the 80s said people should get on their bike and uh, and go to where the jobs are. Uh, you, see, you know, we uh, there's two choices, aren't there? Either you move the capital or move the jobs to where the people are, or you move people to where where the capital is. Uh, it's harder, though, isn't it, to encourage plants and machinery to move. It's a lot easier to get people to move. And we know in the UK, uh, people now live an average of 100 miles from their birthplace compared to an average of five miles just 25 years ago. So, yeah, it's so, amazing, yeah. So people are moving. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the transportation system he has as well and whether it can cope. And that's where I think London is shooting itself on the foot, as a, speaking as a resident of the, of the city, because uh, the cost of transportation is astronomical compared to the rest of the world. I worked out that the cost of a short journey on a one-way ticket uh, in Sydney in versus London, London is, in terms of my income, five times as expensive for a short journey as as Sydney. Now, that's just unsustainable no. uh, in the sense of pe- people. And it's also you can't afford to live here, you can't afford to buy here, and you can't afford to get here. So I think London is actually suffering a strangulation effect on the sheer scale of its of its network. So and that, was, that comes down so that, to be sold by cheaper transport, which of course, has not been done in the UK, whereas it has been done in New York. Right. But then that gets back to my original question, my original joke. Uh, does economics sort itself out? So does London become so expensive that people can't afford to live there? Uh, therefore, businesses do move out, and then we start to see development in, in other parts of the country. Well, you're more likely to see the, the, the stimulating side of the network being overwhelmed by the cost of the network. And if you get to the stage where people can't afford to live here and can't afford to, to work here, uh, I'm only talking poor people, not the, the, the people in the finance sector can obviously afford to live here, uh, then you, you start getting a breakdown of those networks. And I know plenty of creatives have been moving originally to Berlin. Now I'm told a lot of them are moving to Portugal uh, just to get away from the cost of living so they can actually do their creative things uh, in, in aggregations. But London is actually destroying itself. On this front, so to this, for this sort of network effect to be sustained, 
uh, and continue going on, then it has to be something where there's a gain for the network. And I think London may be at the stage where it doesn't have that gain anymore. But that doesn't mean the rest of the country goes grows in, in balance, of course. It means you, you start suffering uh, a lack of capacity to generate those ideas and that surplus uh, that was what originally makes a city great. So, so you seem to be saying that in a way you need to have that concentration. Then I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out. You, you, know, you, you need, yeah, you need. It's it's certainly where where human innovation comes from, and I mean, with, with, and when you take a look at where innovation does occur, it tends to be in aggregations. But what you want is a diversified industrial structure. That means you can have that popping up all over the country rather than just having in a couple of regions. So the, Michael Porter's work on this, I think, is extremely useful. Michael Porter wrote the book called The Competitive Advantage of Nations as opposed to The Comparative Advantage of Nations. And he, in looking at where do innovations occur, he worked out that it tends to be where there are uh, firms which are aware of each other and supplying a particular market and are competing with each other and competing with a sophisticated clientele as well. And that combination means that they're trying to, the firms are trying to one-up each other and the customers are trying to get the, the hottest, latest product. And that'll give you a creative burst in a particular town, which then becomes the basis of the industry in that town and sustainable for that reason. And then another town can have a different form of industry. The classic that I think in, in Porter's book was the uh, the northern nor- region of northern Italy, uh, where Lamborghini and Ferrari and Maserati and so all evolved. You know what Lamborghini's original business was? No idea. Tractors. Right. <laughs> they made tractors. Now, they, some, I don't know whether which which one was first, Maserati or or, or um, Ferrari, whatever else, decided to make a motor car. And of course, they went uh, being uh, hotheads. They went for something with a really good performance, you know. And bang, off we go, and we get this incredible production. If you talk about you want a, you want a performance car, what's it going to be? The answer is almost always Italian. Mm. Why is that? It's just because of this network concentration around those turns in northern Italy. Now, a similar thing, I uh, gave an example in India. I and mean, India is uh, known for textile exports these days. There's a very long and, and tortured history about that involving the British Raj. But um, uh, one of the, t- uh, I think about something like 60% of India's ex- textile exports come out of one city. And the reason, again, is this creative con- contest between a range of, of textile manufacturers leading to innovation in that area, meaning it's vibrant. So if you have a diversified industrial structure, you can support a diversified population system. And on that front, I think, again, Germany is a good example because if you go to Germany, uh, you find that there is industry all over the place and that those means you've got a dispersed network rather than just one focused in one spot, which is what London has. And that's because Germany still has a diversified industrial base, whereas England devastated its in the Thatcherist period and simply relied totally upon finance. And that's one major reason why everything is concentrated in London. Well, we're starting to see, and London and maybe the southeast. I mean, we started to see businesses moving out of London because it got so expensive and we started to see areas like Reading develop. But we've also got an arc of innovation in the UK now. So we've got companies, the companies that are undertaking the most R&D, the highest levels are in Cambridge and Oxford and Bristol and Milton Keynes as well. Uh, so it's sort of like an arc across the uh, southern part of the country where you've got good universities and nice countryside and uh, concrete cows in the case of Milton Keynes. Uh, so, you know, there's, uh, so I guess that's almost like the, this growth pole idea, isn't it? That's even, you know, you've got an area there where you've got the resources and you start to get um, 
if they're similar industries, you've got in, enough of a context of other industry, other companies close by, so you can grow from those points. And that's uh, mm. that's that's a bit yeah. about what you're talking about, isn't it? Really, that's, yeah, very much so. And then that's when you mentioned those towns, all, all but one of them have well and well known and important universities. Yeah. Um, so it is that university. Uh, innovation network nexus that, that can occur where people get a chance to get together and experiment uh, rather than focusing upon avoiding waste which is this fetish that the British have got that's destroying the university sector but uh, if you allow the you know, people to get out there and innovate then there'll be spin-offs that occur and the spin-offs will mean that people have to move to where if they want to work in that area they've got to move to where the network innovation has occurred and bang they move to Oxford Cambridge or Milton Keynes rather than London and they're making the move because of an innovative spike that has occurred there so in that sense, a large part of what you're trying to do is to encourage those centres uh, away from uh, London itself. And that, it's, that's one way of getting a form of regional development is to get those innovation hubs. And the government plays a role in setting them up by, first of all, establishing a university and then not worrying about how the money gets used. Well, with the exception of Milton Keynes, that they're all very nice places to live as well, kind of saying. Well, Milton Keynes is on the edge of the Cotswold, so, you know, nice countryside around there. But in the, if we go back to the, and I'm sure that's a factor as well, because everyone wants a good quality of life, but I mean, it only uh, relates to a particular type of, of industry, of course. If we go back to the 80s, before Margaret Thatcher uh, came on the scene, you used to need an industrial development certificate to build a factory in the UK. It was hard to get in areas of low unemployment, much easier in areas of high unemployment. That became a, a victim of the uh, the Thatcher government. They decided to uh, to put the kibosh on that. Uh, and, uh, and since then, you know, we've had a, a massive decrease in the amount of money that is spent on regional assistance so is that a, should was that a mistake first of all does that idea of idcs seem like a good idea or uh, could that just prevent businesses i think this is part of the argument uh, that businesses would just go well we don't want to go up north therefore we'll go to italy no, in, in fact, there was a bad idea. Like so much of what Thatcher did, the only reason it appeared to work was a dramatic increase in the size of the financial sector. And that was basically a speculative bubble, which burst back in 2008, 2010. So uh, the idea of trying to encourage those, that without putting a heavy hand of direction at the same time, this is part of the problem. The English thing, to, everything everything can be solved by a dose of additional bureaucracy. Pardon yeah. me, I meant bureaucracy. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and and that's that's the problem. But the idea of having um, the uh, the dispersal, seeing it as a positive, having a a large network, sets of networks rather than just one, is 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 sensible. It's a question of of whether you can actually achieve that. Uh, the, in the bureaucratic way, it tends not to work. The innovation hub does tend to work. Yeah, but uh, but if if it's just a question of what will give you some sort of financial incentive, that's for for a whole region. That's not going to ensure that you're getting this, uh, you know, this group of industries. Isn't isn't getting a group of industries together all at the same time? So isn't it a question of timing? You know, it's yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's something. I mean, again, that's it's, it's it's this is where the um, the work of the Atlas of Economic Complexity, I think, is so important. That that, that is a an international study done in uh, Harvard University by data scientists looking at what actually enables countries to grow, and they find again that it's diversified industrial structures that grow rapidly rather than specialised ones. But uh, their their point was that you develop new industries out of combinations of old ones, and to some extent, you can't force that. Uh, so you, if you if you try to do it in a heavy-handed way, you're not going to get there. But if it's easy access to funds for innovators, 
then that is more likely to be successful. And uh, again, my favourite example of, of how innovation occurs uh, comes back to the, the beach again. And if you have a country where there's a sailboard, ma- a sail manufacturer and a surfboard manufacturer, then somebody's going to think of sail of, of sailboards yeah. at some point. And, but they're going to have two local suppliers they can work with to create that product. And then you're going to get a bunch of people trying to compete to make better ones. And, and then you get a carbon fiber manufacturers coming in and so on. And finally, you've got a, a vibrant network uh, where there's both cooperation and competition at the local level. And that's, that's the, the pattern you want to achieve. And it, it comes down to saying that what matters as well isn't just the economy, it's the social structure you've got as well. So the French have been much more emphatic about the need to maintain their countryside and small farmers and so on than the English have have, not because it's economical, because it maintains a sort of country that France wants to be. But there are large parts of Britain which are very pleasant places to live. And, um, you know, you can't help thinking yeah. that there'll be people who would be saying, well, yeah, I'd rather live in those towns perhaps than rather live in the, the congestion that's, uh, that London faces, which is perhaps why, you know, as I said, Cambridge and Oxford, very nice places to live. Same with Bristol and Bath and around that area. Mm-hmm. Good universities and, and, and a good opportunity to innovate from there. The, so can't you do the same thing in, in other parts of the country? Let me give you an example. My uh, my mum lives in Northwich in Cheshire, which is an area which uh, used to be employment was dominated by the chemical industry. ICI had mm-hmm. a, a plant very close by, and the, you know, nice countryside in Cheshire, Northwich, a nice enough place, but it's just uh, it's just for you know no growth at all there now. They're building a you know the, the, a lot of the shops are closed. The the answer has been to build a new retail centre. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet in this new retail centre, they're not building new offices or new infrastructure apart from the ability to go shopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking and thinking, well, surely that, you know, the, the availability of good office space and facilities is going to encourage people into towns like that. Uh, and, you know, isn't this a case of if you build it, they'll come? To some extent, it is your bullet. You come if you if once you have a again think about that rubber mattress and dropping weights on it at various points, and then the weights become attractors and drag and stuff from the local area. That's actually a reasonable analogy to the way you think about uh, regional dispersal. So if you do have one that's just too big, you do want to uh, like as as London is certainly turning out to be, then you do want the others to develop, and a bit of an investment in that is worthwhile both socially and economically. And the growth pole approach. So the idea that you say, well, okay, we need to put, uh, because we need to encourage industries to cluster, let's focus on growth points rather than let's uh, give a, you know, the same incentive everywhere. Let's try and get people to come into points where the regional economy can grow from a center that we, we, we see grow. Yeah, and again, that's the network effect which matters, and that's why I think a lot of the ideas coming out of computer science are more useful than anything in economics on that front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, point to finish with, expenditure on regional policy at its peak in the UK has never been more than 1% of GDP. So hardly surprising it's not having a big impact. They just need to spend more money on it somehow. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It, it's You simply have to say that it's you're not going to try to work this out in a, in a short-run return. It's a question of what's the tapestry of the country that develops out of this over time. And to some extent, even if it doesn't make money, if it loses money from the government point of view, the government, as we said earlier, is partly its requirement is to create the money. So if it creates it by maintaining a regional diversity, in the economy that's not a bad way to do it okay but here's the problem with this final question and i know the answer already if you could live anywhere else in the uk other than london would you uh quite possibly yes <laughs> oh, okay you surprised me on yeah, that one no 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 <laughs> I, I find bristol's a very attractive little town 
Uh, I miss the beach, and what Brighton sort of has something that resembles one. <laughs> sort of. Um, so, uh, and I'm, I'm th- actually be thinking about Lisbon as a potential base for what I do. All right. So, okay. yeah. So, in terms of the not in England, in last time I looked, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, they, they tried. Um, so, uh, but yeah, in, in that sense, I would be willing to move. But again, again, partly for me, the difficulty there is, of course, as you know, the network effect for me being in London is astronomical. Yeah. So I just walk across the road to uh, being interviewed by uh, by radio stations, French 2024s at the next roundabout. It's, it's uh, up on the Bakerloo line to get to the BBC. Yeah. Um, NBC means a bicycle ride over to the city. I mean, that sort of thing, the network effect means that I'd be really pay- paying a large cost to move out of London. So you're quite right, your overall expectation. I, while I'm doing what I'm doing, London's where I have to be. Absolutely. Being the media tart you are, it's hard to live anywhere Indeed. else, isn't it? Indeed. Uh, Steve, uh, I think we've sorted some of this out. More money seems to be the answer anyway, that's for sure. Uh, good to talk. See you again soon. Okay, bye. Yeah, geography, the missing dimension of economics. That's it for the Debunking Economics podcast for this time. We'll catch you again very soon. I'm Phil Dobby. That was Steve Keen. Thanks for listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.